Turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. I'm not going to give you a one-minute sermon. But I'll try to make it a little shorter than normal. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're going to read this passage together, so let's, uh, let's begin. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Even so, we... When we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored in vain for you, for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? They zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic, for these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free which is the mother of all of us. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren! You who do not bear, break forth and shout. You who are not in labor, for the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. 
But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, even so it now is, or is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word, we pray that your word might uh, just penetrate our hearts, that your spirit might apply your word to our lives, that they may walk in faith. And Father, we just pray that you would bless this time. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. We're only probably going to get through about verse 7 today. There's probably a million sermons you could preach. We're sort of doing just an overview of Galatians, covering about a chapter at a time. Um, but let me tell you, Paul is in the midst of a theological exposition here. In chapters 5 and 6, he really digs into the application of that theology. So right now, we're still in the middle of Paul explaining grace and law. And this is really key for us to understand because so many people get off on this. I mean, really, works righteousness, okay? Works righteousness. What I can do to get to God, what I can do to please God, that is the fallback position of humanity. We compare ourselves to others. Well, I'm not as bad as that person over there, right? And... and in doing so, we can uh, justify our own little petty sins or, or pet sins. Well, I do this, but it's not as bad as that person. You know, we compare us. God wants us to compare ourselves to him. Be ye holy as I am holy, the Lord says. Now, when we do that, what happens? We all fall short. We all fall short. And that leads us to what? to faith, because we understand that there's only one way. It points us to having a righteousness that is not of our own, but is imputed to us, that is given to us, put into us by Jesus Christ. He is the way. He is, you know, the, the whole of the story. Not only is he the story, he is the story. You know, I mean, he's everything. He is the hero. Precept Austin lays out a great chart of contrast between law and grace. Now, remember, when, when Paul is speaking of the law, he's talking about the laws of Moses that were given to God or from God, but to the Israelites. But if you remember our previous studies, you know that Abraham was counted righteous by faith before the law was ever given. And therefore, God's grace is not superseded by the law, but the law was given as a tutor to lead us to Christ. So, so let me read these contrasts to you. The law prohibits. Grace invites and gives. The law condemns the sinner. Grace redeems the sinner. The law says do. Grace says it is done. In fact... <laughs> Right? Jesus on the cross, telestai, tetelestai, it is finished. The law says do, grace says it is done. The law says continue to be holy, grace says it is finished. The law curses, grace blesses. 
The law slays the sinner. Grace makes the sinner alive. The law shuts every mouth before God. Grace opens the mouth to praise God. The law condemns the best man. The very best man, the law condemns. But grace saves the very worst man. The law says, pay what you owe. Grace says, I freely forgive you all debt. The law says, the wages of sin is death. Grace says, the gift of eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. The law says, the soul that sins shall surely die. Grace says, believe and live. The law reveals sin. Grace atones for sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. By grace is redemption from sin. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth come by Jesus Christ. The law demands obedience. Grace bestows and gives power to obey. The law was written on stone. Grace is written on the tablets of our heart. The law was done away in Christ. Grace abides forever. The law puts us under bondage. Grace sets us free in the liberty of the sons of God. One of the, one of the best illustrations outside of the scripture in literature that, that you can find about this law and grace issue is Victor Hugo's novel, Les Miserables. Has anybody seen the movie or... You know, they made the musical later, much later, off the book. The book's about this thick. It's huge. Um, but they made the, the movie, you know, later on, and they made a musical out of it. And I remember going to see the musical, Hugh Jackman and, and uh, all these folks. And at the end of the movie, there was silence. And I could hear weeping in the crowd. And I thought to myself, these people are touched, but they have no idea why they're weeping. Because on display was the grace of God versus the law. The antagonist was Javert. He was always after the protagonist, Jean Valjean. Because Jean Valjean had been a criminal. Well, he stole bread and they put him in jail for 20 years. And Javert couldn't give it up. He couldn't. He couldn't give any grace. It was all law. So much so that when he received grace, when, when, when Javert received grace from the very person he was after, Jean Valjean, he couldn't handle it. And he killed himself. He couldn't live in a world where people could, could have grace and, and move beyond law. It's, it's amazing uh, the way that Paul works this law and grace and, and shows to us that they cannot coexist. If there's going to be law, then by God, you better live every perfect law there is. And no one could do it except for one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, he gives us grace through faith, just as Abraham had faith and received grace, and he received the promise. So now, in Christ, the promise is fulfilled, and the law is done. 
But that's really hard for us, especially the legalists, to get. It was hard for Paul to get. He was a chief legalist, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of Jews. And yet he got it by the grace of God. And now he's worried for these Galatians that these people had come in and told him, you cannot be saved unless you, you do the laws of Moses, unless you keep the festivals, unless you uh, get circumcised. And Paul's saying, no, that's, that's done away. You're going back. It's like you're, 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 you've graduated into freedom of college, but yet you still want to go back to grade school. Let me give you a list of contrasting synonyms that Paul uses for law and grace in this chapter. And it's interesting. Look at this. The law are guardians or stewards. Grace is God's son, the adoption, and makes us heirs. The law are the elements of this world. The, the grace is the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that he rose from the dead. The law is called beggarly elements. Grace is the blessings you enjoyed, Paul tells them. The law is days, months, seasons, years. Grace, Paul says, is truth, is truth. The law is the bondwoman. Grace is the free woman. The law is Ishmael. Grace is the promise and is Isaac. The law is flesh. Grace is spirit. The law is Mount Sinai, Hagar, and Jerusalem. But grace is the Jerusalem from above. So Paul opens with this illustration of a son. And a son being a slave until he receives his inheritance, until he's fully grown, until the moment his father declares that he can be a man. And even though the son was an heir of all things, right? He was under a steward until the time appointed by the father. And until that time, he had no more rights than any of the father's slaves. The Israelites were children of the promise. They had been put under the steward of the law so that they would be separated to God from the Gentile nations and that they would um, show the holiness of God, right? The law shows the holiness of God. And the law showed that all men were sinners. And the law was to lead them to the Messiah who would come from the Jews, as Jesus states in John 4.22, salvation is from the Jews. See, that was God's plan. His Messiah, even from the Garden of Eden, the promise, the Messiah would come through this line. And so the law was the guardian. And it kept people under bondage, though, until the right moment. Paul then shifts from the dispensation of the Jews to include the Gentiles as well when he states, even so, we were all children of bondage under the principles of this world. The principles there in the Greek is the word stoikion, which means elemental or basic. It's like the ABCs. 
think of it as elementary school. They were in elementary school, and one day they would graduate. These elementary principles seem to include all the things men use to get favor from God. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, the Jews did not see the law as a means to an end, but the end itself. Does that make sense? In other words, they didn't see the law as, as leading them to Messiah, but rather they saw the law as, as the end of itself. The Pharisees were, were the main party. The Sadducees were the ruling party, but the Pharisees were the party of the people, right? They, they followed the laws of God. They separated themselves unto God. But for them, the law was all there was. They looked forward to Messiah, but their idea was of a political leader, not necessarily one who would save their souls because they had the law. They became bar mitzvah. Bar, meaning son, mitzvah, law. They were sons of the law. They had missed the idea of being sons of God. They were seeking Messiah for political freedom, but not for spiritual freedom. And so that must have been really hard for the Jewish believers to hear because Paul seems to be saying that even though the law was given by God and it is good, they missed the point of it and made it into something that was no better than the Gentile religions. Think about that. How often do we do that? We have the freedom in Christ Jesus, and so oftentimes we want to make it into something else that is no better than the pagans. That's why we, you know, and Larry stated this, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus. The bottom line is that all were under the law, and the law condemned us. But, it says, and, and this is, you know, the buts of Scripture are awesome. Because he, he lays out, you know, usually there's some problem, and then it says, but. And it's usually, but God does something. And it changes the whole situation. He says, but when the fullness of time had come. You see, God appointed a time. God is the Father. As he said in the, the illustration right up front, there's a son who is an heir of all things, but he's no better than a slave until what? The appointed time. And so God the Father appointed a time when the law would be fulfilled in his own son and the children, that is us who believe, would receive the inheritance. We would become children of God. We would no longer be slaves under the law. God is sovereign over all the events in time and eternity. And it is just the right time in history, it says. You know, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. And it was the fullness of time. It was an interesting time. Number one, it was a time when Rome controlled the world. And we had what was called the Pax Romana. The peace of Rome. Now, Rome uh, got to the peace 
and held the peace by very um, drastic means. They crushed all their enemies, basically. But there was a time of peace going on in the world. And the Romans also did something. They built great roads all throughout the empire. In fact, you can go and find Roman roads still around today. Cobblestone roads that the Romans built. In fact, I in, it was in England when I was, I don't know, about this tall maybe. Not this tall. And uh, we went and, and there was a Roman wall still standing there. 2,000 years old, right? The Romans built good roads, which made the propagation of the gospel a reality. Missionaries could travel far and wide. The other thing that happened at this particular moment in history was since the fall of the Tower of Babel, man had not had a common language. But in the first century, you could speak the same language from Britain to India because of a guy named Alexander the Great. Alexander thought everybody should become Greeks. He thought that Greek language and philosophy should be put in all the world. And he was pretty successful at it. So even the Romans, when they, when they came to power, they spoke Greek language. They had Latin language. They had Greek language. But the Greek language was well known throughout all of the known world. And so there was a common language that the gospel could go out quickly. The Greeks also did something else, is they liked to transport other people's culture. They didn't crush other people's culture like the Romans did. They relished in it. They thought, you know, hey, the Greeks seek knowledge. And so during this time, synagogues popped up all over the Greek empire and then the Roman empire. So throughout the empire, there were Greek synagogues teaching the Old Testament. The other thing about this particular moment in history was that there was a fervor among the Jewish people for a Messiah. Now, now as I said, they were, they were really looking for a political Messiah who would kick the Romans out. But there was a fervor of Messiah of looking forward to it, of anticipating it like never before. In fact, there was a rabbi in the 1940s who wrote a book about the Jewish uh, Messiah and the anticipation for Messiah. And he's found that in the, the middle uh, or second quarter of the, of the first century, the fervor for looking for the Messiah was the very highest that it had ever been. And that was right when Jesus came on the scene. So in the fullness of time, a time appointed by God, God sent his son. God sent his son. There you have the deity of Christ, right? The son of God. And then it says born of a woman. And so there you have the humanity of Christ who was born under the law so that he might redeem us, those under the law. So here we get this sense, and this goes brings us back to the book of Ruth and the kinsman redeemer. If you don't, if you've never heard that concept, um, go on YouTube and watch my sermons. 
But I have a whole series of sermons on, on the book of Ruth. And, and, and the, 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 the kinsman redeemer had to be related to the parties involved. And so Christ had to come as a man. God became man in order to redeem men. Redeem means to buy back. He buys us back out of slavery. Slavery to sin and death and the law. Through his own death, he gives to us life. And he redeems us so that we might be adopted into God's family as God's son. And then Paul gives this statement of fact. He says, you are God's sons and daughters by default, right? Isn't that awesome? Think about that. You're God's children. By faith in Jesus Christ, you are God's children, not by the works of the law. Then it gets better. It gets better. It says God gives us the spirit of his son in our hearts that cries out, Abba, Father. Think of that. Not only are we God's children, but God gives to us Christ's spirit. The spirit of God comes into our hearts and seals us for the day of atonement. He seals us and he helps us in our day-to-day lives. He leads us into all truth. And he cries out, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word. It is a, um, it's, it's really an intimate name. It's not, a, it's not like a, a, a familiar name, like, oh, Father, right? No, Aramaic, uh, Abba, is like Daddy. Daddy. You know, you, you remember those times, those of you who have children, when the children were really little and you come home and they hold up their hands and say, Daddy or Mommy. Isn't that awesome? That's our relationship to God because of what Jesus Christ has done. We can call him Daddy. He's always available. He's always available to us. Then we are given, therefore, uh, the therefore, right? Paul lays on a, a therefore. So since all of that is true, since we are children of God, since God gives to us his spirit, and we can cry out, Abba, Father, therefore, we are sons and heirs of God through Christ. Now it goes back to the first illustration, right? The son. The son is like a slave until he's, at the point in time, given his inheritance, and he's made a fellow heir. So we have our inheritance. We are given the therefore that we are sons and heirs of God through Christ, so we have uh, come into our inheritance. We are no longer in need of the tutor or the steward, and we are no longer slaves But Christ has made us kings and priests in his kingdom. And we are heirs with Christ. My friend uh, Wayne Barber, who 
has gone to be with the Lord. He wrote this, and, and this is worth reading. What are the implications of that statement? You are no longer a slave, but you are a son. With full privileges in the family of God. You see, if you're not enjoying that, perhaps you have come, you have, have to be taught it, and you still don't know it. Even though it is true, we haven't yet grasped it. Once we are free from the bondage to the law, we are free from slavery. But then we have to learn to live by faith because it is faith that appropriates what is already ours in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the Galatians did? They dropped out of the school of grace and they re-enrolled into the kindergarten of law. And how many times in our life have we all done the same thing? When we choose not to live in that intimacy of a relationship, we choose not to say yes to God, we choose not to let his word totally affect our behavior in our life, we choose to enroll one more time in the school of the law, the kindergarten of the law. We have a choice today. We have a choice to live as a slave, and we have a choice to live as a son. Slaves have no relationship with the father. And they have no relationship with the family. Only by faith do we enjoy those relationships. Even though technically, positionally, they are ours, we don't enjoy them unless we are willing to live by faith. In chapter 2 of Galatians, I want to remind you, Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, right? God gives to us the son the, the spirit of the of the son the life i now live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me you see it's all about jesus this is a relationship based upon totally jesus keep having faith in jesus faith is belief right belief is trust those are all synonyms. We are to keep on believing, keep on having faith, and God will work in us, and we can cry out, Abba, Father. He's the hero of the story, Jesus Christ. We must live by faith in him if we are to be children of God and not slaves under the law. Are you living by faith today? Are you living by faith today? We've just seen an example of somebody who's walking by faith, right? Trusting God for his provision, trusting God for where to go and where to minister and, and uh, that the doors will be open when he gets there. Jenny's been reading a, a book by, and you know, there's a, there's a few authors that all Christians need to read. I mean, without, without question, Corrie Ten Boom, uh, her book on her life and ministry is essential reading for the Christian. She went all over the world. Sometimes she went not even knowing if she was welcome there. Corrie Ten Boom, if, if you don't know, she was put in a concentration camp by the Nazis. I had the pleasure, this is amazing, you know, when I think about it. I was just a little kid, but my mom drugged me by the hand to Hoffmantown Baptist Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and it was probably about 1970, and we saw Corey Ten Boom speak. 
Later, I watched the movie, The Hiding Place. What an awesome woman of God who walked by faith. Amazing story, how she made it through concentration camp, even though her sister died there. How she forgave a guard who was one of the worst guards at the concentration camp who happened to come to one of her meetings later on and hear her testimony. And he came weeping and asking for forgiveness. She said it was the hardest thing she'd ever had to do. But by faith in Christ Jesus, she forgave him. And that guard received Christ. That Nazi became a believer and a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. No one's too far gone, my friends. Keep praying. Listen, the Spirit of Christ dwells in our hearts to apply God's Word there and to grow our faith so that we may enjoy God's grace forever. We can enjoy this liberty we have in Christ, and I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the testimony of faith throughout the ages and we're thankful that it is by grace through faith that we can approach you and call you daddy lord i pray that if there's someone here today who's never received jesus that they may have their eyes open and see that he is the only way he is the way the truth and the life that it's all about jesus and jesus can impart to them his own spirit to dwell in them and to Bring them out of bondage, out of death, into life and liberty. If you want to experience Him today, receive Him. Believe in Him. Believe that He died for your sins and that He rose from the dead. The Bible says if you believe those things, you will be saved. And you will begin a life of uh, faith. Father, for the rest of us, let us not go back under the law. Let us not drudge up and, and leave the school of grace for the, for the uh, kindergarten of law, as my friend said. But let us keep continuing to walk by faith, faith in your son, Jesus Christ, keeping our eyes focused on him so that one day we will see him face to face and you will glorify us in your kingdom. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.